Are you ever faced with people who have all the facts and stats about the social ills facing society, but they can't tell you where the nearest food pantry is? Or where you could volunteer even though they don't? Well, that's the difference between woke and awake, and that's what we're going to tackle today. Hi, I'm Suze, here with your weekly dose of culture, values, and identity, and where we tackle those topics others may consider off-limits. A little about me, I'm a busy Gen X mom who, quite frankly, wanted to grow up like the Brady Bunch, but how could I being raised in the shadow of Schindler's List? So this means I've spent a lifetime navigating these mixed messages we get hit with daily. You know those conversations where we wonder if it's safe to speak our minds. Can we share our experiences, voice our fears and concerns, or should we just keep our mouths shut? Well, too bad. I need to know. But I'm no expert, so I'm going to schmooze the experts and get their thoughts. Why? So when we engage with our kids, colleagues, or the countless committees we interact with, we can do it with competence, kindness, confidence, and maybe a bit of humor. If this sounds like your cup of coffee, welcome to Schmooze with Suze. When I first moved to Jacksonville, my son's preschool was collecting feminine hygiene products for underprivileged girls. The organization at the helm was Jewish Family and Community Services. Right away, this intrigued me for a couple of reasons. First off, feminine hygiene products are typically taboo in public spaces, much less in religious environments. Secondly, because JFCS was addressing the needs of the entire city of Jacksonville and not just the Jewish community, as I had incorrectly assumed. So let me tell you who they are and what they do. JFCS has been around since 1917. It works with the entire community by providing services to help people of all ages, races, religions, sexual orientations, and backgrounds. The programs and populations are diverse, but the overarching mission is to help people help themselves. JFCS tackles everything from food insecurity and mental health services to foster and adoption services, and a big one, intolerance education from the classroom to the boardroom. My guest today is the quarterback of this winning team, Colleen Rodriguez, Executive Director of the LJD Jewish Family and Community Services. Colleen, thank you for joining us on Schmooze with Suze. Thanks for having me. Jewish family gives me the visual of a bowl of chicken soup. It's got a little bit of everything in there. It's there to help you feel better, to take care of you. So tell us more about the cooks, so to speak, who invented this recipe. Well, you started out well. You have the history. We were established in 1917, and we were established then for the Jewish community, people that were moving to Northeast Florida. And we were established really to provide the same, very similar services back then that we do now 105 years later, helping with rent, helping with mortgage payments, making sure people had access to food. And then fast forward 105 years later, that's still our, some of our core programs through our Max Block Food Pantry and our financial assistance services. But then a very intentional decision was made in the 80s. And actually, when we look back through the archives, we were serving the entire community even 105 years later in mm. the Jewish tradition of Tikkun Olam. So for those of you who don't know what Tikkun Olam, it's, it's the Jewish value of that everyone has a responsibility to make the world around them better, not just the Jewish world. 
But our board in the 80s made a very intentional decision to make sure that we're opening our doors to everyone and that we really clearly send that message to the community that all are welcome at Jewish Family and Community Services and that all of our services and and all of the programs that we have all are welcome. Tikkun olam is the very important concept of repairing the world. And what we look at is if you can find something wrong, can you find your way to fix it? Was there ever a thought to change the name from Jewish to Jacksonville because it is so inclusive? Like when I first heard about you and thought you were a Jewish group that helped only Jewish people. So there's always conversations, strategic planning years about our name and do we go by our acronym, but really no, we don't want to lose the Jewish. The Jewish is our history, it is our foundation, we do serve the Jewish community, and now we are the LJD, Jewish Family and Community Services, and honestly, I'm not seeing anyone ask Catholic Charities or Lutheran Services to drop Catholic or Lutheran, why would we choose to do that? So. No, that's not something that's on the table for discussion at this point. How often are you the first interaction with a Jewish organization or Jewish values that someone not familiar with Judaism has? We hear that a lot. Um, A board president that we used to have, Hal Resnick, used to say to us that Jewish family is in the unique position, that we are the face of the Jewish community in many settings where people aren't interacting with the Jewish community. We're very involved in the court system. We're very involved in in in-home services through the school system. And so, yes, we do get the opportunity and the privilege to represent the Jewish community to many people who don't have everyday, day-to-day interactions. I am always surprised by how much and how diverse the needs of our Jacksonville community are. And this is uncomfortable for me to say. How is it? Although I consider myself to be pretty socially aware, I'm not really clear on the extent of the basic struggles facing where I live. You know, I don't think that's it's that uncommon. If it's not in your day-to-day and you're not volunteering or you're not having that a certain experience with your friendship group, then it then you really have to seek out where the gaps are. You really have to seek out the challenges that our community are facing and become educated. And that's hard in the day-to-day. If you're a mom and you're having kids and you're running around and, and keeping a busy schedule, you really have to be able to set aside, set aside time to do that kind of research and get involved. And it's difficult. But I there are needs in our community, as in any community, and they change and they shift. And it is the responsibility specifically of the nonprofit sector, but I think all sectors, that we pay attention to our city and pay attention to our community members and what those needs are and that we are flexible and remain fluid and make sure that we're able to to meet those needs and build awareness. It's clear that JFCS or LJDJFCS has evolved to meet the needs of the community as those needs change over the years. Rarely does someone come in with one need. Can you give me an example of what wraparound services look like to many of your clients? Sure. So we are uniquely designed. We are the only organization designed the way we are, and it's very intentional. Sometimes you may come in and you hear, you do these six core programs. How does that even work? We're very careful about mission creep. We are a case management and a a therapeutic agency. That's, That's the lane that we're in. But what we have found over the years, Jacksonville is very large landmass-wise. Mm. Transportation can be a barrier to families. And what we found is exactly what you said. People come in through our, to our doors. They may come in through our counseling door, for example. And they're having marital issues or they're having challenges with the child. But as we unpack that, we realize that they haven't eaten for 24 hours. 
or they don't know how their electric bill is going to be paid and it's getting cold. And so instead of having to give them a referral and possibly giving them a bus pass, we're able to take them down the hall, let's get your electric bill paid, let's get you a bag of food, and then we can come back in and deal with the issue that brought you brought you in the door. And I think that's what makes us unique. It's, it's kind of one stop under one roof when appropriate. Mm. We're able to literally put families and the individuals that come to us in multiple programs based on their need in one in one agency that's incredible i mean i i come out to drop off clothing for the fanny landworth clothing closet and they're letting me know that they've opened food pantries in other locations can you tell me more about why food pantries have had to be outsourced and moved Sure. So we have the Max Block Food Pantry at Jewish Family, and we served over 136,000 meals last year just out of our pantry. And when we originally established, it was come shop in our shop at our DuPont location. We do have the shopping experience when COVID is not going on. And then schools started reaching out to us, one right before COVID and the rest during COVID, to say, hey, these kids are not eating. We're worried about them. They're coming to school in the same clothes. We, the teachers are, are providing food to these kids. The teachers are going into these homes providing services to them. Is there anything that Jewish family can do? So we started at Washington Carver Elementary. The guidance counselor reached out and said, can you come out and talk to us? We're, we have a population of kids that really has some needs. And that was our first satellite food pantry. It was a food pantry. It still is food pantry, also clothing closet and personal hygiene items. Then COVID came around and Beauclair Elementary and how it actually happened is my husband is a JSO sheriff's officer Hmm. and he was working off duty and he came home and said, you have to do something. These teachers are feeding these kids. They're coming in clothes that aren't appropriate. They're living in the woods um, right near the Red Lobster on Bay Meadows. They're living in a hotel that's being condemned. You need to do something. And so we did reach out to the principal and he said, yes, please help us. So they were supporting about 60 kids that they were feeding on a regular basis right there off Bay Meadows Road. That's unbelievable. So, that's why I just, I challenge people because poverty is everywhere. Many of our donors said, no, no, you got the school name wrong, not Beauclair. I went to Beauclair. Absolutely. So we opened up our second satellite food pantry in Beauclair Elementary. Okay, I'm going to ask a question sure. that, um, this is an uncomfortable one. As a mom, I know that there are children in the public school systems that are foster students foster families um, and they're in the midst of adoption or they've been removed from their homes, how much of the services that they get are you able to follow up with once they leave the system? So the foster care system is different than any of our other programs. So when our kids come into the foster care system, well, we have several layers, but talking specifically about foster kid, kids, we take custody of those children, and it is our responsibility to meet their educational, emotional, medical needs while providing supportive services to the parents and the family, hopefully to mitigate whatever the abuse issues were so that we can safely reunify them. Mm. So if a child is safely reunified, even at we supervise for six months after placing the children back with their parents. So in those six months, we're making sure that they remain stable, they remain safe, and that the family is linked with the needed resources to be able to sustain that after we move out of the case. So those children that go home, we have that six-month window, and it can be extended if it needs to be. 
For the kids that age out of the foster care system, our state extended foster care, the children have a, the ability to opt back in until their 23rd birthday. Wow. What I always say is usually at 18, they say, no, thank you, we're out of here. And by 19, they're calling us back. Okay. And so they can live in a foster home. They get stipends. They can go to a state university. Um, paid for. So there's lots of opportunity for children that age out of the foster care system to remain linked to us. And then as an organization that's got 105 years, we absolutely are here for them as just as a resource, mm-hmm. even if they weren't involved in the foster care system. So the, those, and then the, our other option is adoption and relative caregivers, and those families are provided supportive services long after the adoption occurs. This is a tough subject too. There's a new unit at JFCS, the sex trafficking unit? So it's not necessarily new. The Department of Children and Families have always had a unit that investigates sexual abuse. They are co-located at Jewish Family and Community Services because of the, of the seriousness of that type of abuse, the, the need to really have a seamless transition from that unit to the next phase. So privatization happened, that's a whole other conversation about 20 years ago, where organizations are actually doing the work of the Department of Children and Families. Department of Children and Families still does that initial investigation, but then it passes off to one of three agencies, Jewish Family being one of them. And so with those cases, we really found the need that we needed to be in the same space so those cases can move quick, you know, quickly over and that transition could be seamless. Sex trafficking is real. People don't like to talk about it. It's here in Jacksonville. People give a lot of reasons why. We have 95 corridor. We are right there by the Georgia-Florida line. Some people say it's we have military bases. There's lots of reasons and predictions and, and thoughts about that. But the reality is that sex trafficking is, tra- sex trafficking is real and it impacts our children. What should we be on the lookout for and what should we do or who should we contact if we have any concerns? If you have any concerns, the best number is to call 911. Mm-hmm. Of course, anyone can make an abuse call as well at 1-800-96-ABUSE. It is better to err on the side of caution if you have concerns. Um, I think the airlines have done a good job. There's been several bathrooms on rest stops on the highway that have had signs put into um, the, you know, the restroom doors. And quite frankly, the other day I was at Burrito Gallery downtown. I'll give a shout out to them. And I went to the restroom and there on their door, wow. they had, if you are in trouble, these are. this is how we can help you. And so I think it's important that we build awareness. It's an ugly topic. It's a scary topic. It's important that we are educating our children about online and social media and what information they're giving out. Um, It's also deeply rooted in in drug addiction very often. Sadly, a lot of times it's the family members that have have put the children in this business. Mm. So it's important that as a community we're aware and that we're talking about it and we're, we're providing supportive services. And another important subject here and now in Jacksonville is the need for intolerance education. Correct. In an effort to combat the hate and the hurt, we want to uplift the stories and the heroes that remind us that this kind of education is needed on an ongoing basis. JFCS also offers educational programs from the classroom to the boardroom. Mm -hmm. You use really innovative approaches to your education programs. Can you start by telling us about the teaching trunks? So I'm going to back it up first just a minute and talk about why we do this. So we have the privilege of supporting Holocaust survivors that reside in Northeast Florida. A little over 100 of them mm. that are still with us and their, their family members as well, half live in Palm Coast and half live in Duval County. And they really, over the times that we've gotten to know them and we've spent with them, 
they're the ones who really instilled in us that we need to be educating the community. There are still those that live among us that do mm -hmm. not believe that the Holocaust happened. And that's concerning. As we're losing our survivors, it's important that their stories are told. And so in working closely with them and second generation, we've asked them, what do we need to be doing next? And they said to us, education, education, education. So through a partnership through the Tampa Holocaust Gallery there, they have these teaching trunks. They're age appropriate. So teachers can say, I want to teach about it, but what's age appropriate? You wouldn't talk to a second grader the way you would talk to a high school student. These trunks give the teachers everything they need in an age appropriate way. And then we have a curriculum that goes along with that to help teach the teachers how to teach and have these conversations. And of course, with the, with the little ones, it's more about accepting each other and tolerance. And would you sit with someone that maybe you didn't know? Would you stand up for someone that was being mm -hmm. picked on? Would you report it if someone was being picked on? And then as we get older, as the kids get older, of course, we need to have more real life history you know, conversations as well. But the trunks are a great way to start having those conversations. Are there any other resources that are available outside of the schools? Absolutely. So I would encourage people to go to our website, which is the www.jfcsjax.org. On January 27th, we're going to have a cattle car that is going to be coming to our organization. The community is more than welcome to come. It'd be great if you sign up first because I think it's going to be it's going to be crowded. But when you step, I don't want to tell too much, but when you step into the cattle car and the doors close and a video is out of it's the people that actually experienced being in the actual cattle cars. They are telling you their story, and it's extremely powerful. That would be one way. And then we're also doing these resisting hate groups, these panels throughout the community. So keep your eye on our website for the dates and times and locations, where we're trying to get a diverse group of people to come together in the same space to educate each other and to, to make sure that we're having sometimes uncomfortable conversations to make sure that we're all educated and up to date and working together because hate is hate and those people that hate, hate all groups and we really need to be a unified, a unified force. Absolutely. So I'm just going to say that again. The Hate Ends Now Tour is here in Jacksonville. It's a traveling exhibit that will be at the LJDJ FCS on Holocaust Remembrance Day, Friday, January 27th. It's an incredibly important event that takes visitors on a multimedia journey inside an exact replica of a cattle car. Cattle cars, if you don't know, were used to transport Jews and other targeted groups to the concentration camps. It also includes an exhibit of historical artifacts. While there, the public is invited to visit the Frisch Family Holocaust Memorial Gallery and view the current exhibit, Art in the Holocaust. Can you give some examples of volunteer opportunities that are available and how someone can become a volunteer? So I would recommend that people go to our website again, mm -hmm. www.jfcsjax.org. Come in and meet with us. Let us give you a tour. Let us talk in more detail about our various programs and find out what really resonates with you. Yes, we always need volunteers in our food pantry. We need always need volunteers in our clothing closet. Mm. Our, we have thousands of kids that we serve every year. Tutoring is always needed. Mm. But there's, I really want to tailor, we really feel it's important that we tailor the volunteer opportunities around the person. What's going to be meaningful for the volunteer? Because that gets them coming back. And 
our needs change throughout the year. So in the summer, I wouldn't tell you it's necessarily tutoring, but in and around the holidays, it's our holiday gift giving program. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of opportunities, whether you want to volunteer consistently or if you want to come in and kind of do a day or a couple hours here or there. So I, I'd really encourage people just to reach out to us. I do need to say, if you're going to volunteer at Jewish Family, you do have to pass a background check. Mm-hmm. Background screening and fingerprinting. Um, and I want to ask you, because I've heard you say this before, Colleen, if you were to step up on a soapbox, oh, no. <laughs> what keeps you up at night? Oh, two things keep me up at night. I don't, even, you know, I don't even have to think about it. I will always talk about mental health. So I think mental health is the root cause for a lot of, of our world's problems. I think we don't talk about it enough. I don't think we put enough resources behind it. We have no shame in talking about our physical health and telling others about cancer, but we don't talk about mental health in the same way. And every individual has mental health. Hmm. Every family has struggles. And until we can really talk about that and own that and feel comfortable and take the shame for some reason that's linked with it away, I don't think we're going to make the progress. Florida does not have the mental health capacity. We are not attracting the psychiatrist and the staff that we need to meet the demands. We haven't invested financially as a state in expanding our mental health. And I think we're seeing the repercussions of that, not only here in our state, but across the country. So Jewish Family, one of our core programs is mental health, mm-hmm. and, I, and we're, it's always going to be. But it, it's a challenge to, to even break even in those because the insurance rates and different things and Medicaid rates. So uh, if you're going to ask me that, mental health is definitely my, my first soapbox. And my other one, which is more recent, is really around affordable housing. If you do not know where you're going to sleep tonight, if you do not know where your children are going to sleep tonight, nothing else matters. That impacts the school system. That impacts the criminal justice system. That impacts work and people coming to work. People are, who have never accessed services before, who have been hardworking, who have maintained their employment, when the rent went up five or $600 with no notice, but their salaries did not, they found themselves in a difficult situation. And the nonprofit sector does receive funding for financial assistance, of course, but not enough to meet the demand. And, and that's what we're seeing. We see a lot of people living in hotels, and that's, that's where they're maintaining their household. So you have four, five, six people living in a hotel room. That is not acceptable moving forward. That's really what the schools were calling about. These kids were living in the woods. They were living in hotels. Transient housing. Correct. So... My background before I moved to Florida and New York was in homeless services. And one of the things that we often talked about was the rates of recidivism. We would find generational homelessness because Mm -hmm. parents would never get settled, which would lead children to never having the independent living skills to ever get settled down. So you're saying that there's a generation of children who are coming out the gate without places to have lived, with a couch to crash on, and with no forward-thinking approach. Wow, that's a lot to think about. Colleen, I have no doubt that you are between meetings, and I am so grateful for your time. But before we leave, can you please share some upcoming events that we can support LJDJFCS, who does such an exquisite job of supporting our community at large? 
So the first one will be that January 27th, next Friday. Please feel free to come to our main headquarters. We would love to see you there, and we hope to, we'd like you to have the experience of the cattle car. And then our annual event is March 30th. You, again, you can go to our website and get that information for sponsorships if you want to purchase a ticket. That evening will really be a way for you to get an under, a better understanding of all the services we provide and really an opportunity to interact with staff and board members to, to get a better understanding and then hopefully from there could lead towards volunteer opportunities. That night is called Wrapping Ourselves Around Community because that is exactly what Jewish family does, like chicken soup it, <laughs> from the inside out. If you are buying a ticket to the Players Championship, you can chip in for JFCS in. and they will receive $40 for every Thursday to Sunday ticket purchased from now through February 24th. Use code TEETIME when purchasing your tickets. T-E-E-T-I-M-E. Colleen Thank you so much for your time and your wealth of information. I appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And now it's time for our honorable mention. Mensch is the Yiddish word for a person of integrity and honor with a sense of what is right and responsible. So the inaugural and the very inspiration for the honorable mention is my dad, Jerry Pollock, who was a legendary Mensch. He gave generously of his time, talent, and treasure But most importantly, he was beyond generous into the territory of boundless with his laughter and humor, forgiveness, and enormous heart. My dad died a year ago, and I've spent every day since trying to intentionally be a better person than the one he left behind. That was his influence. If you know of someone who is the kind of mensch who should get an honorable mention, send me a note at schmoozewithsuze.org or drop me a line on Instagram. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks for sticking around. Make sure to subscribe to Schmooze with Suze on YouTube and follow me on Instagram to get your daily dose of chutzpah. I'm Suze, your well-informed smartass who's not afraid to stand up and speak out. Because what's an envelope if not for pushing? Hey, stay inspired and inspiring. Inspiring.